If you're visiting, we had a theme for Chosen, so we had fun with the ladies last night, almost 2,000 gals. Lots of estrogen in the house, so I'm, I put my pants back on now and I get a little testosterone going. Let me talk to you about Chosen to Stand for Your Future. The life you have is the life you build. And the life you build is the life you're going to have. God gives every one of us free will and free choice. God said, I set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose. Nobody's a victim. We get to choose how we respond, how we react, what choices we'll make. Any builder knows that a house is only as good as the foundation on which it's built. And my grandfather used to say, Ricky, if you want to build more than a chicken coop out of your life, you better build it on a strong foundation. Even Jesus talked about two kind of people. He said, one guy goes out, looks good, looks cool, builds a great looking house, but he builds it on sand. And pretty soon the storms come, the rain, the flood, beat against it, the wind, and he falls. Another guy builds a beautiful home also. The difference is what he built it on, a strong foundation. And when the wind came, and when Katrina came, and when the, the storms came, and when economic downturns came, and when conflict came, the house stood. And then Jesus defined what he meant. He said, whoever hears my word and does it is like the wise guy that built on a rock. So if you want your marriage to stand, if you want your finances to stand, if you want relationships to stand, if you want your career, your future to stand, God says then for crying out loud, build it on something that's sustainable, that's strong, that's unbreakable, that's not going to fall down. Your health can fail you. People can fail you. The economy can fail all of us. The government can fail you. You can fail you. God can't fail you. And His Word is eternal and never changes. So, if you want to build something that lasts, you better build it on a strong foundation. So, if you're going to succeed in God's purposes for your life, a couple of quick thoughts. First, you want to be in the church God has chosen for you. Now, this is not to go to heaven. This is to get your future and God's purpose fulfilled in your life. Jesus is my ticket to heaven. But God also has a purpose for you in a local church. And if you never, you know, if you never arrive where God wants you to be, and you're not in the church God has chosen for you, you're not going to see the fullness of God's purpose fulfilled in your life. Jesus said that he, he died for the church and gave himself for it. So if that is that important to him, it ought to be somewhat important to me. Only in America primarily do Christians think I can be effective in serving God and never be in a church. The Bible says in Psalm 68 too, God sets the solitary in families. God hooks people together. God doesn't have any lone rangers. Scripture says that Christ is the head of the church. So if you're not in the church, where does that put you in respect to the head? Psalms 92 verse 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they're going to produce fruit. They're going to be fat and flourishing. Amen. But who is that for? Not those who attend once a month. It says those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Then listen to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. I'm sorry for reading the Bible. This is church. All right. 
1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has set each member in the body, the local assembly, as it pleased Him. So it's not the church of your choice, it's the church of God's choice for you. God has a place for all of us. And every local church that preaches Jesus is a good church, but every church is not your church. God has a place that, he, that sings your song, that establishes your vision, that fits with the gifts and temperament of your life so that you can flourish there. So to be planted in a church is not floating from church to church. Paul compares the church to a physical body. And in a body, there are no floating parts. I don't want nothing in me floating around. We call those blood clots, and they can cause death and a heart attack. So all of us need to be attached to a strong local assembly, a strong church. Second, you got to have vision. Vision gives you direction for your life. Proverbs 28, 18, where there's no vision, people perish. Another translation says they live wild, like untamed horses. Another one says they cast off restraint. Here's an important secret. Rules, regulations, laws will never produce discipline. Discipline comes out of vision. When you see something you want so bad, you'll do to get it what you wouldn't do normally. That's why Olympic champions and sports people will go beyond the realms of the natural, even in pain or injury, because they want to achieve something so bad, they'll make their body do what the body does not want to do. They'll make it eat what it doesn't want to eat. They'll make it run in the rain or the cold. They'll make it get up. They'll... Discipline comes out of vision. So if your life is filled with unrestraint and no discipline, you have no vision. It's just that simple. Vision produces discipline, not rules. Our kids need vision, not more rules. Vision will, it's got to be greater than my present circumstances or I won't reach for it. And it's got to, the reward of getting that vision's got to outweigh the pain to get there because there will always be the pain to achieve it. So vision is important. It has pulling power. It's out in front of you. It's calling you to it. Vision is not for sitters. Vision is for runners. A lot of people want to grade your vision. Well, I like her vision. I like his vision. A lot of people want to be entertained by your vision. But vision is for runners. The prophet Habakkuk said, write the vision, make it plain, so that he who reads it may run. So you see the point? Vision is going to grab you by the throat and drag you down the street. It'll pull you through trial. It'll pull you through fear. It'll pull you through difficult times. Vision will keep you moving. It's got pulling power. Real vision will also compel you to action. If you say you've got vision and you're doing absolutely nothing to bring that vision to pass, you have a delusion. Vision generates action. It always does. That's why it's vital to your life and why it's a gift from God. Going through life without a vision is like going to sea in a ship with no compass. You're just going to float around out there. And a lot of Christians think that's exactly how God wants me to live. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I got no plans. I'll just here to let whatever happens, happens. Hey, that's good for Doris Day, but that is not good for you. That's nonsense. How many people who think that way would ever get on an airplane 
and listen to the pilot say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard American Flight 6113. We've got full fuel. We've got great weather. We've got two trained pilots up here. Please fasten your seat belts. Return your tray tables to the upright and locked position. However, I have absolutely no idea where we're going, but I'm sure the Lord will just take us where he wants us to go. Gag me. I'll tell you one thing I know. I'm getting off that airplane. I'm not going to fly a clueless airplane. I'm not going to attend a clueless church. That's why every time, at least on an airplane, better than some churches, they tell you where they're going. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard American Flight 1368 to Dallas. If Dallas is not your final destination, we strongly urge you to get off the plane. That's vision. And that's a good thing, because if it's not going where I'm going, I'm not on it. Let me ask you something. Are the relationships around you right now, you young people, uh, entertaining the possibility of marriage, or maybe you're serious about somebody, is this person you're with going where you want to go? Are you going to give your life and your name, girls, to somebody who can't plan a day, let alone his future? You, you, what, you've been, your gene pool has been chlorinated. Something has happened to you. The cheese has fallen off your cracker. I want to go with people going where I want to go. And if the people around you won't want to go there, you got to get some new people. Everybody needs a dream team around you. And that means I'm going to have to find people sometimes out of my race, out of my culture, out of my denomination, out of my background, even out of my family. Because those people around me may not be going where I want to go. They're not thinking big. They're thinking like pygmies. I don't want to hang around them. I want to hang around giant killers. And that means I can't hang around a bunch of pygmies or small-minded people who are always worrying about some little issue. Well, I just don't think you ought to have a body tattoo. Well, I just think, and I just think, and I just think, and I don't know. What do you think about the Bible code? What do you think about the Christmas tree? And what do you think about, and I just think, and what, they don't wear robes in the choir. And what do you, I think you are stupid. That's what I think. I don't think you have a clue what God's up to in the kingdom. Well, at least I'm giving you vision here, all right? You, you, you want something else, then you need to go somewhere else. But the point is, I, I want to go somewhere. I want to leave a footprint. I want to make a difference in the world. I don't want to just pay the bills and exist. Come on. Come on. I want to be a church that has some kind of significant influence in a city, in a nation, and in the world. And you got to work for that. It's not easy. Nobody's going to give it to you. So how do you get that vision? Well, you know, hang around people with great vision. It'll tend to rub off on you. The way they think, the way they talk, the way they see things. It's different than some of the people that you hang around. I look at people hanging with some losers, and I thought, you'll never achieve anything. Water seeks its own level. You'll never go higher than the people that are closest to you. So if they don't think differently and act differently and make different choices, you're doomed to stay right where you are. And if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same thing you've been getting. Nothing's going to change. And vision is progressive. You've got to be part of God's church for that vision to be fully clarified. The Lord said to Abraham, lift up your eyes, look north, south, east, and west, all the land you can see, I'll give it to you. So I ask people, what do you see? I remember that movie with um, um, John Candy and um, Dan Aykroyd, and they're at a lake cabin, and Dan Aykroyd is asking John Candy as they look out on the lake and the beautiful forests around, he says, he said, tell me what you see. And I remember John Candy said, I see trees. And, and 
Dan Aykroyd said, well, nobody can accuse you of great vision. <laughs> and I thought, what do you see? Do you see a better marriage? Can you see a better future? Things may be bad at the moment. Things may not be what you want right now. But can you see something better that you want in the future? All of us have bad times. All of us start small and work our way up. I remember driving a little Volkswagen Beetle, yellow, God help us, 200,000 miles on it. And I remember, you know, being broker than the Ten Commandments, but I'd go down to a dealership on a Saturday, sit in a new car, smell that leather, take a look at it, hold that, imagine myself driving that new car. I'd do that all the time, or drive through a neighborhood that had beautiful homes, landscape, yards, uh, nice shrubbery, gardens, or fence, and I say, now, I want that kind of a fence when I get this house, and when I do that. What am I doing? I've got a vision beyond where I happen to be. And I'll be ready when that opportunity comes, because I've been seeing it a long time. My, my parents were divorced and remarried five times. I had a vision of what I don't want. So I had to make different choices. Vision produces action and discipline. So I asked people, well, I couldn't see myself living in that. Well, don't worry, you won't. I couldn't see myself having that kind of a marriage or doing that or being that. But everybody that wasn't that, that became that, had to see that first. You've got to see it. I couldn't see myself dropping 50 pounds. Well, then you won't. What do you see? That's what God said. What do you see? What is it you like to do? That's your passion. God gives you passion. I'm not talking about your lust. I'm talking about passion to do something, to be something, to achieve something. That passion God put in you, and He's given you the gifts to do it. That's not a mistake. Well, Daddy wants me to be this, but what do you want to do? Well, I want to become this, and I want to do that. Well, that's where your future is. Follow that passion in your heart. God's… If, look, Simon Cowell is a good theologian. He'll ask the contestant on American Idol, honey, who told you you could sing? He said, you're a sweet girl, but this is American Idol. You ain't no idol. You can't sing. You do have a future, but it's not going to be in music. Everybody okay? So you, you, you can't make a thoroughbred racehorse out of a donkey, but God's given you, but you can carry a big pack if you're a donkey. Yeah, and a thoroughbred won't. But I'm trying to say to you, you're gifted to be something and do something to excel more than anybody else around you. Don't neglect that. What do people compliment about? What do people say about you? What is it you like to do? And when you do it, people say, boy, you did that really good. And you feel good about yourself when you do it. And the more you do it, the better you get at doing it. That's a strength. Go there. If you keep flunking math, don't look for a future in, as a physicist. But you're going to have a great future somewhere else. That's right. I'm trying to show you how simple this is. I don't think this is that tough. And third, you've got to impact the lives of other people. Uh, Satan's got a strategy to keep all of us and to stop these three parts from ever working in the foundation of our lives. And here's how. Proverbs 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when dreams come true, there's life and joy. Hope deferred is unrelenting disappointment. Unrelenting disappointment makes your heart sick. Proverbs 4, verse 23, guard your heart, for out of it come the issues of life. 
uh, or literally it means the boundaries of your life. So out of your heart come the boundaries of your life. That means your future is not set yet. So if the boundaries of my life come out of my heart, then they can't be out there already. So it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks about you. What matters is what you think about you. It's not what somebody else says about you. It's what you say about you. It's not what somebody else believes about you. It's what you believe about you. Why is that important? Because out of your heart come the boundaries of your life. But if your heart is sick, you're going to have a problem because your boundaries are not going to go as far as they could go. Not because you don't desire it, but because your heart's sick. Jesus mentions that in Matthew 12, verse 35. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of a good heart brings forth good things. You got a good heart, it's going to bring out some good stuff. Then he goes on to say, if you got an evil heart, it's going to bring forth evil things. You need a heart transplant. Jesus gives us a new heart. And when you got a good heart, it brings out good fruit. Even in the natural, this is true. If your heart naturally, physically is sick, you might desire to do some things, but your heart won't allow you to do it. You couldn't go climb a mountain. You couldn't do strenuous work. You couldn't even fly in an airplane. Why? Your sick heart simply will not allow it. Your heart can't take it. And that's also true in the spiritual realm. The Bible says unrelenting disappointment makes the heart sick. Now, disappointment, defined by Webster's Dictionary, is the frustration of expectancy. Ever been disappointed? You go, uh, that's a frustration of what you expected. Disappointment can operate in a person's life on a personal level, on a ministry level, and it'll produce a poison in our lives that will stop us from getting in the right church God has for us, having the vision God wants us to have, impacting the lives of other people. Why? Because of disappointment. Sick hearts can't minister to other people. We used to say hurt people hurt people. You, you, you reproduce what you are. So you can't be strong in the Lord or in the Word. You got a sick heart. Repetitive disappointment in a person's life produces negative expectancy out of life. Now the Bible word hope means positive expectation. We're supposed to be positive people. It's messy right now, but God will see us through it. That's positive expectancy. Well, if I win the lottery, I'll probably lose the ticket. That's negative expectancy. Well, I'll probably never get anybody worth spit to marry me. Negative expectation. And you're going to draw exactly what you expect. I expect good things to happen even on a bad day. I expect God will deliver me. I expect God will come through. That's, that's called faith. That's not, that's not psychological brainwashing. Positive expectation. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith is the substance of what you positively expect. But if your life, instead of being one of hope, is one of disappointment, then your faith has nothing to become the substance of. Because instead of positive expectancy, you have negative expectancy. Why? You got that way by a sick heart because of repetitive disappointment. So what happens to a person when they go through repetitive disappointment? Your life stops. You become stagnant. You eventually say, well, I guess this situation is just God's will for me. Now, he didn't say that. You said that. God says in Jeremiah 23, I've got a hope 
and a future for you. God says, I'm going to do you good and not evil. It does not mean I won't go through tough times. It doesn't mean I won't have some tragedy or setback. It won't mean there's, no, there's a, not a delay. There will be a delay, but it's not denial. And you've got to know that or you'll stop. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Stop. It hurts. I was in Cape Town, and I stood in front of the little cell, maybe we have a picture of it, that Nelson Mandela spent 28 years in alone. There it is. To my right shows you it's this tiny little cell. That trash can is the toilet, that's the table, and that little mat on the floor, that's the bed. 28 years for a man who had a vision to overthrow apartheid in South Africa. A third of his life and health gone for a dream, a vision. And he walked out president of a nation and overthrew it. But the price was nearly 30 years of his life. And I stood there in that door, and, I, and instead of repeating the history that's in the past, I thought, what price am I willing to pay for the dream I have? What price are you willing to pay? Well. Some Christian offended me. Somebody didn't speak to me. My husband is going off with another woman. That's no reason for you to die. You, you still have a future. God hasn't given up on you. Anything He promised you still stands. Romans 2 says the gift and calling of God are irrevocable. He has not changed His mind one bit. You may change a husband or change a wife, but He hasn't changed His mind. His plan still stands for you. Now, knowing that, you're not going to quit. But the enemy knows if you don't know it, you'll say, oh, shucks, what's the use? And you'll give up and live a sub-level life. And God's not in that at all. You've got to become unstoppable. You've got to know people deal with this all the time. And repetitive disappointment robs you in a lot of areas of life. First, it'll rob you in your relationships. Did you know it's in your relationships God primarily meets your needs? Most of you are born again because somebody told you about Jesus, a friend, a parent, a neighbor. Many of you who are married met your spouse through a relationship. But if your life is poisoned with disappointment, negative expectation, then your life becomes filled with resentment, disappointment, bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, envy, and you can't even attract a friend. And nobody wants to be around poison. You just sit, you sour, and you soak. You look like a dill pickle. And nobody, people just run away from you. Nobody wants to hear your drama all the time. Disappointment can rob you of what God can do for you in a bad circumstance. There's a general in Syria named Naaman. He comes down with leprosy in 2 Kings 5. He's a favorite commander of the Syrian king and commander of the army. This general has a little Jewish slave girl. <coughs> she told him there's a prophet in Israel who can heal him. So, with his preconceived idea of how God may do it, he shows up with his army and gifts for the prophet. The prophet doesn't even come out. The prophet sends out his servant, told Naaman to go wash seven times in the Jordan River. Why? Wow, he's so offended. He's snubbed. Nobody, this is not protocol. He's about to ride off into the distance and almost lost his healing, almost lost a miracle because it didn't go the way he thought it would go. He was disappointed. The prophet hadn't come out to meet him. And Naaman said, I thought surely the prophet would come out and wave his hands all over the place and sing Alleluia, Alleluia 435 times before breathing on me. Some of you have some old Pentecostal expectation about how God should do it or how God ought to do it, 
And if God doesn't do it that way, then you're disappointed. And I'm telling you, you're going to lose a miracle. But he was advised by one of his assistants, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something hard, you'd have jumped at it. Go wash. What do you got to lose? Go wash in the muddy Jordan River and shut up. And he did. And he got a miracle and he got healed. He was almost robbed by disappointment of what God had for him. And disappointment can rob you in your ministry or your vocation or job. It'll keep you from running the race God has for you. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah comes down from Mount Carmel after a great victory. He's called fire down from heaven, and he only prayed 14 words. I wouldn't go to lunch with some of you. You got to pray the Old and New Testament and a concordance before you even eat. God help you if you had cancer. But when you look at the prayers of Jesus, I'm not talking about his private life of intercession. I'm talking about anytime he ministered to anybody, he did not pray long, very short. Now, if you read the Bible, it'll mess up your typical charismatic or Pentecostal style. I've got to pray louder. I've got to pray in tongues faster. That doesn't add anything to it. That's just style. And you pick that up from somebody. It's not evil or wrong, but if somebody doesn't do it that way, then you're disappointed or offended. All I care about is do I get healed? I don't care if you spit. I don't care, but I just want to be well. But I'm trying to show you, he prayed 14 words, got fire from heaven, and he killed 750 prophets, false prophets of Baal. Pretty big victory. Elijah was certain his ministry was going to change the heart of the nation of Israel. But when he came down from the mountain, there was no change in the people at all. Then to add to that disappointment, King Ahab's wife Jezebel, a desperate housewife, says in 1 Kings 19, by this time tomorrow, I'll have your life. I'll have you on social media. I'll get my bloggers and haters to go after you, and we're going to kill you. And the great prophet took off and ran and ran and ran. And when he stopped running, he said to God, just let me die. See, the power of disappointment. If you don't get a handle on that, it'll produce depression in your life. It'll make you want to give up on your vision, your life, your dream. What's the use? I've been disappointed so many times. If God was going to do it, He would already have done it. Now, you're talking nonsense now, all right? You need to go see Dr. Phil. (laughs) That's not God. It made your heart sick. Disappointment produced fear and depression in Elijah's life, and it'll immobilize you and make you want to quit. Well, why wouldn't Satan want to make you quit? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So you're no exception. If you've got a future, if God's got something big for you, and I'm the enemy, I want to stop it. And if I know you can, a little bobo will make you quit, I'm going to make sure you get it. I don't care what it may be, a little setback, a little disappointment, a little offense, a little tragedy, and you're out of the game. I'm game for that if I'm Satan. But you got to be tougher than this. You got to know that trouble's going to come, but I've got the victory through Jesus. And if God promised me something, it doesn't matter if I'm 100 years old, my wife's 90. I'm going to paint the baby room and get a baby bed because he said we're going to have a baby. He said so, so I'm going to do it. He can back up the sun 10 degrees for Hezekiah. He can stop the sun for Joshua. God will do whatever it takes to do what He told you He was going to do when He gave you that dream or that vision, no matter what's happened in your circumstances. The only issue is you've got to keep going. God won't do it for you. God does it with you. 
We are co-laborers with God. The only thing God does without you is save you. You ask him, he saves you completely by his own work and merit, by none of yours. But if you're going to have a good marriage, if you're going to have good finances, if you're going to build a future, if you're going to build a company, if you're going to have a dream, you're going to have to participate. You've got to get your head in this game. God will then cooperate with you. But it's not going to be by himself. And all of us have been disappointed by friends, family, church members. Maybe it was a leader, sometimes by ourselves, and sometimes even by God himself. He didn't do what I thought he was going to do. Well, he's got a better plan. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, they said, we're not going to bow down to your God. Now, we, we love you, King. We've served you faithfully. But you've asked us to do something we are extremely forbidden to do. We can't bow down to another God. We can't do it, whatever the cost. And he said, well, then I'm going to put you in that fire. And they said, we know our God is able to deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to bow. Oh, I love that. And of course, God came as the fourth man in the fire and delivered these boys. You got to have that kind of guts, little intestinal fortitude. Um, you know, don't start saying, well, what's the use? People way beyond you have gone through lots of trials, lots of tragedies, lots of setbacks, and finished strong. And you can too. God's not through with you. Can you do anything about this? Absolutely. Listen. God would never give you a vision. God would never put you in a church. God would never call you to impact the lives of other people if you could not do it. Ephesians 3, 20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think according to the power that works in you. See, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not my coolness. It's His power in me that allows me to do it. He says, if you can think it, I can do more. If you can ask it, I can do exceedingly abundantly above everything you ask or think. So ask big. Think big. Dream big. God said, I can do more than you can even think or ask. Come on, squirt. Challenge me. Make my day. Boy, what would happen if Christians suddenly got off the bench and got in the game with that kind of an attitude? Listen to this one. This will make you ashamed. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through verse 28. This is the Apostle Paul. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. Well, I'm more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides all this, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So tell me your dishwasher's broken. <laughs> tell me your child got expelled at school. You hadn't even qualified with disappointment. Would you, would you agree? You ought to put that on your refrigerator. That'll make you, I'm going to have a good day. <laughs> Anything's better than that. And if anybody had, a, if anybody had the, uh, the right to complain, to be disappointed, it had to be Paul. I mean, this is a great man. This is not a bad man. He's an apostle. He writes 75% of the New Testament. 
And Paul, through all of this hell, just keeps moving. This was the guy who wrote from prison, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. (laughs) I'd like to see some of you 24 hours in prison, see what you'd be singing. So what did Paul know that would allow us to have that same power? Well, here we go. Philippians 3.13. Brothers, I don't count myself to have yet apprehended. My current situation is not my final destination. Paul said he hadn't arrived yet. Did you get that? Your current situation is not your final destination. You're not there yet. You haven't yet apprehended. The game's not over. The race is not completed. The movie hadn't finished. You're just in a bad spot. So he says, I, I have not yet apprehended. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The key word there is through. Don't buy a condo. Don't invest in real estate. Keep walking. Keep moving. Why? Because I haven't arrived yet. My current situation is not my final destination. Verse 13, but this one thing I do, I keep forgetting those things that are behind me. Stop dwelling on your past disappointment or who done you wrong. It stagnates you. It limits your faith. Forget your past failure, even if you did it. Ask God to forgive you and move on. He said, your sin and iniquity, I will, rem- I will remember no more. So quit bringing it up. I watched a movie a couple of years ago about a race across America. I wish I could remember the title. A guy gets into his Ferrari, snaps off the rearview mirror, throws it out of the top of his sunroof. His companion asked him why he did it, and the guy said, because what's behind us doesn't matter. That failed marriage doesn't matter. I'm tempted. Quit talking about it. What what are you going to do now? What's your future now? Did you learn anything? It'll equip you for your future. God's plan for you hadn't changed. His gifts, His callings are irrevocable. He hadn't changed His mind. Well, well, somebody left me. My husband or my wife left me for another man. Okay, maybe you need to clean up your act. Or maybe you were the victim in this case. Fine. But God's plan for you hadn't changed. So why are you down in the mouth? Nothing's changed. Paul finished. You're going to finish if you don't quit. That helps me. No matter what attack comes against me, I remember Philippians 1, 6. That which I have begun in you, Becky, Emma, Rick, Bob, Smith, I will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If I started it, I'll finish it. And the circumstances in between don't diminish it. Amen. That's strong. The only thing that matters is what's in front of you. And Paul was able to forget what was behind him. It's sad that people who were hurt five years ago are still allowing that past to rob them of a great life today. Don't you give your life into the hand of anybody who hurts you, wants to attack you, who has demeaned you, who has stolen from you, abused you, uh, uh, hurt you in some way, divorced you, whatever. Don't you give control of your life to a hater. Don't do that. that. See, you give them control of your life. I won't give that control to any human being. I give only God control of my life. I'm not going to let you control my life. Well, I don't like you. Well, I don't like you. Well, fine. Deal with it. Maybe I don't like you either. Fine. But the point is, I'm not going to give my life sucking my thumb drinking Maalox because somebody it, it doesn't like me or somebody hurt me or tried to hurt me. I'm moving on with my life. I think the best revenge is success. Yeah, he didn't like you. Okay, sweetheart. Pretty yourself up. You've learned a few tricks. Get yourself another man. It might be the man you never thought you'd ever have. It might be the best life you ever had. You're sitting there thinking, oh, I can't believe this happened to me. It happened. We live in a sinful, fallen world. 
but God didn't fall. God's still for you. He's still got a plan for you, and He's going to help you. You know, God, God, God can put you on a radar when He wants to. If you're ugly, God, God who opened blind eyes can close eyes. He can, he, <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. I don't know what he sees in her or him. I said, I've seen some guys. I thought, Lord, she must be blind. But, but God, God can do anything. <laughs> Aren't you glad? <laughs> Aren't you glad? You know, forget the past. Quit walking through life backwards. God designed your life to go forward. What's back there doesn't matter now. I'm not going to let, you know, I'm not going to let whether I was wanted in a family or whether I was given away or adopted or whether I was illegitimately conceived by unmarried. I'm not going to let any of that. My future stands. Got a good plan for me. I believe that every day of my life. And we'll just see. You know, I'm marching down the road 71 years. I'm still marching towards my dream. I still see this place filled. I still see expansion of it. I still feel young, still healthy, still grateful to God. And I'm saying to you, I got everything to live for, and so do you. Well, I can't believe that happened to me. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. There's no country song when hurt. Well, who was that? Patsy Cline or something about hurt? Everybody's been hurt. I'm not going to look at your bobo, and you don't need to look at mine. But I'm not going to give you the—I'm not going to sit around and let you control my life, whatever, whatever you did. The ex-spouse, the ex-husband, whatever. Don't do that. The ex-boss, the employer, whatever. No, no, no. God hasn't changed his mind. He's got a better idea. And those three Hebrew boys knew that, well, if God doesn't want to deliver us out of this furnace, he's got a better plan. We'll just trust him. And that's what you have to do. I may not know what's going on at the moment. I may not be, I may be perplexed at the moment, but I know God's in control. Not Satan. He's not in control. He can't touch me unless God lets him. He told Job, Job said, I, you got a hedge around Job. I, I can't get to him. God says, that's right. I'll let you touch him, but you can't kill him. So he's still on a leash. So quit feeling sorry for yourself. You're still a victorious person in Christ. Be strong. Stand up. Move on. Have a few tears. Share a couple of moments with that, but don't live in that despondency. Move on. Believe in God's got something better for you. A bad marriage, a breakup, lost job, a bad relationship has no right to ruin or rob your future unless you permit it. You know, your ex-spouse left you or divorced you, and now he's happy as somebody else, and you're sucking your thumb miserable. Still talking about it. You think he cares? I don't think so. So get yourself dolled up. Get yourself ready for another relationship. Plus, you ought to be a little smarter. Pick better. Right? Maybe you married a jackass or something like that, and you're a young lady. And say, well, I did. I, I went for the wrong thing. Fine. You're smart. You, 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 go for it. I got stories to tell about that with people in here, and I love it. Forgetting those things that are past, reaching forward, looking forward. Paul knew there was more life for him out there, and he was reaching to get it. Reach forth for what's in front of you, Paul said. I'm reaching for it. I press towards the mark. That word mean, that word press means I pursue. That's not passive. Well, if the Lord wants me to have it, I know He'll give it to me. Wrong. That's why so many do without. Jesus said the kingdom of God suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. You must go after it. You must pursue it. You must want to win to capture something so bad you'll throw your body at risk in order to achieve the win. Pursue. You know, 41 years ago, I met Cindy in church. Target acquired. We have tone. 
we have lock, fire, and I pursue. I'm an aggressive pursuer. We have some of the most beautiful single gals in here. We have Hispanic gals, African-American gals. We have gals that married some jerk uh, for three years and have a little small child. They're gorgeous. They're drop-dead beautiful. And I'll say, well, uh, are you dating someone? Are you uh, seeing somebody? No, no. And I thought, where are the men pursuing? You think the girl has to pursue you? You jerk. When something good comes on the radar, go after it. Pursue it. Plot. Scheme, be wise, put on aftershave, make friends with the mother, get in there, go for the goal. I'm a pursuer. I see something I want, I'm going after it. And that's exactly what that word means, to pursue it. One of our single gals I, I met oh, a couple of months ago, and I said in the lobby, I said in, after meeting, and oh, what do you do, Gord, drop dead gorgeous, and she, I'm a teacher. A teacher? I said, when I went to school, if I seen anybody like you as a teacher, I'd have made straight A's. I'd have sat on the front row. I'd have come early. I'd have left last. We didn't have anybody that didn't look like a grandma when I went to school. Where did you come from? Some of you old goats out there like me, is that true? We didn't have any drop dead gorgeous girls teaching school. And I asked my wife, what's with the guys today? I don't know. Is this just a cultural thing? I don't know. I'm old school, but I tell you what, if I want it, I'm going after it. Well, I heard she's engaged. Well, she ain't married yet. Well, you think I'm nuts? Maybe she's made a bad mistake. She's engaged to the wrong guy. She don't know it yet. Help her to understand. I'm here, baby, to deliver you. You see, you don't want marriage counseling. For me, you won't go to Percy and Daniel. But I'll guarantee you, I know how to pursue. And what, what's, what's Paul pursuing? The prize. Through all the setback, adversity, trial, and disappointment, he kept looking at the prize, reaching for it. And that high calling he was pursuing was a personal invitation to come and enjoy all the benefits of salvation. There's a high calling for every one of us in this room. Get the big picture for your life. You know what time it is, folks? It's time to get up. It's time to get over it. It's time to get on with it. Would you say with me? Get up, get over it, and get on with it. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.